This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 148, Brian 80, Backpacking and Survival in the Alaskan Wilderness. Hey friends, Kurt here. April the 22nd, put it on your calendars. We're going to have a lot of fun. April the 22nd, we're having a meet and greet in Louisville, Colorado at Mud Rocks. It's going to be on Friday night starting at 5.30 and we're going to have food, we're going to have drinks and special guest Peter Schuster is going to be there to give us uh, his stories about through hiking the Continental Divide Trail as well as about what to do to become a through hiker in the first place. So ought to be a lot of fun. We would love to meet you if you are in Colorado or if you're near Colorado or if you can get to Colorado by April the 22nd, 530. More details to follow. We look forward to it. So save the date and stay tuned for more information. April the 22nd. Looking forward to meeting you there. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have a special guest for you. Brian Aidy is here, and he is, a, is an adventurer who loves backpacking. He enjoys kayaking and fishing and canoeing, and he is also a high school teacher. He teaches U.S. history and European history, and he really likes to integrate the outdoors lessons that he's learned into the classroom, and he even helps out with the Outdoors Club and takes students on trips each year. So really excited, Brian, to uh, to visit with you about that. Brian has also recently written a novel on outdoor survival where he put a lot of his skills into story form, and I have been reading the novel. It's really cool, and we're going to dive into that a little bit too. So, Brian, welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. Well, Brian, I gave people just a little bit of an idea about your background, but primarily today we're going to talk about backpacking and hiking and your love for those sports. So fill us in on the details. How did you get into that, and who is Brian Aidy? Well, um, I've been really interested in the outdoors since I can remember. Uh, some of my earliest memories were exploring the, the weeds around my house. I, I call them weeds now, but when I was a kid, to me, they were like a vast forest, so I uh, got into the outdoors at a young age and got into hiking uh, probably since about age eight. And then as I grew, uh, my adventures started getting a little bigger, started going hiker, hiking deeper into the woods, um, taking more friends along with me, going on more extended trips. Um, and then after I got married, I had to curtail that a little bit. Um, but I've really worked a lot on refining my skills. And um, I go on several hikes a year and try to do one extended backpacking trip several days each year. Uh, I, I really feel like the, the outdoor adventure has uh, enriched my life. So it's enriched your life. Give us an example. What makes it more rich? Well, I think, uh, well, there's, there's a lot of examples I could give, but, but just to look at it holistically, I think, uh, first of all, there's the exercise aspect of it. Um, I, I, I run to keep in shape, which really helps me on my backpacking trips. You know, if you're, if you're going your first time out, you don't want to try like a, a 10 or 12 mile segment for the day, but 
Um, it's allowed me to keep in shape, um, get some exercise while I'm outdoors. Um, secondly, really just the appreciation of nature. You know, we live in a really fast-paced society where we're always rushed, we're always stressed, uh, we're always under deadlines. So really getting out hiking or backpacking, those time constraints aren't there. You're able to look at nature around you and appreciate creation. Um, and I find that really just allows me uh, to experience a deeper level of enjoyment of life. Oh, that's great. So you said that you grew up in eastern Ohio, and you're now in western Pennsylvania. So is are these the areas where you're primarily backpacked now, or do you have favorites elsewhere? Um, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, hiking around Pennsylvania. Backpacking, my favorite is Dolly Sods in West Virginia. Um, it's a it's a pretty interesting atmosphere. Um, you're up in the mountains, about three thousand, four thousand feet, and you can get frost pretty much any day of the year. Um, they actually have warnings there for cold weather because people don't expect that. You know, in August in West Virginia, you wouldn't expect to deal with freezing temperatures. Um, the terrain's pretty rocky, uh, but it, there's also there's some forested areas, so you can pretty much experience any terrain in the Dolly Sods. Um, I also, I've hiked out in Arizona in the Tucson and Phoenix areas, really love that. Um, so just a totally different atmosphere, totally different climate, um, and different challenges, you know, paying attention to hydration, um, in some areas, much more elevation. Um, but I would say if, if I had to be pinned down to one favorite area, it'd probably be Dolly Sods. So why would you encourage people to backpack? Well, I think for several reasons. Um, first of all, uh, you know, there's the exercise aspect. aspect. Um, secondly, I think really, for me, it provides a, a fresh challenge every time. And, and meeting the challenges and either, you know, failing sometimes uh, and learning from that or succeeding and really allows me to feel a sense of accomplishment knowing that I've gone out there, I've challenged myself, I've faced adverse conditions, and not only have I survived, but a lot of times I've thrived through what I've learned. So I think that, that sense of accomplishment is really an important aspect in, in life, and I think backpacking allows people to, to have an outlet for that. Um, and I think also just learning useful skills as you go, um, things you may not have ever thought that you needed to know that you learn when you're out backpacking or hiking, you can integrate into daily life. Um, I think one of the useful things I learned, it, it doesn't sound cool, it doesn't sound awesome, but tying knots. Um, mm. I, I had some failures with that, <laughs> with backpacking and trying to secure shelters. And now, you know, I've got a little son, and he wants me to tie little trailers onto his bike or things like that. And I learned the skill of tying knots, and it's super simple, and it's something that actually benefits other people, too. So what is one of your favorite knots that you like to use? Um, I like the top line hitch my favorite knot because it's secure, but it's adjustable. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to put up a tarp shelter, uh, you know, a lot of times you get too much sag in the line and, you know, just tying a, you know, a regular knot or trying to tie it like you tie a shoelace, you know, it, it doesn't work. But with a taut line hitch, you, know, you get tied, you adjust your tension. And instead of your tarp drooping or, what, or, you know, your tent drooping or whatever it is, it's nice and tight. So then if you get rained on or snowed on, it doesn't fall on you. You could also use that, I suppose, to tie things down on a rack or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, I mean, even, you know, the taut line hitch or, you know, a, a Canadian jam knot helping secure gear on your backpack. Um, those are also very important. <laughs> you know, the reason I asked for an example is because people often don't think about the simple things. You know, they say backpacking and then in the 
the big picture, that means you're carrying a bunch of stuff on your back and camping in the woods. That's what people think. But what you're talking about are the specifics that you've learned by enjoying your sport that have been interesting and beneficial outside of backpacking too. Sure. Do you have other examples yeah. of that? Yeah, I, I think um, firecraft. Um, for example, we, we have at our school, we have a fire pit. We have a bonfire a couple times a year. Um, and the kids that, I would like to say it was kids that were not in the outdoors club, <laughs> Uh, were trying to start a fire, and they had never, none of them had ever started a fire before in the fire pit, and they didn't know how to do it. Uh, they didn't know how to arrange the wood, how to you know how to process wood to start a fire with. Uh, and so just something so simple as having that skill, I could just walk over and demonstrate, show them how to do it. And instead of having a chilly night with no bonfire, they had an enjoyable night with a roaring bonfire. So how about a story? Um, tell us about an experience that you had backpacking or hiking that kind of illustrates why you think it's a great thing for people to do. Okay. Um, I think one of my, my favorite experiences uh, was backpacking in the Dolly Sods. Um, it was a couple of years ago. It was a hot summer day, and we were doing about a 10-mile loop. And um, I, I still was learning more skills, so my, my backpack was a little heavier than it is now. Um, it was probably about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun's just beating down on us, and I'm sweating like a pig. Uh, I've got the backpack on. I've got a T-shirt, and I've got a button-down shirt because when we started out in the morning, it had been about 55 degrees. Um, by the time we're out there now, it's probably about 80 degrees. And I got to the point where I thought, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And one of the people we were hiking with that had done this particular trail said, you know, just, let's just keep going a little bit further. And so, you know, I'm, I'm huffing and puffing and starting to lean under the weight of my pack. And we go probably another half a mile, and the land opens up. And we're on the top of a mountain. It's called Cabin Mountain. And, you know, we walk up to the peak and look out over the landscape. And the sun is shining. And I'm looking out several miles over a, an immense valley. And it's, it's really picturesque. I wish it could you know, show a picture. But there are little farmhouses dotted throughout this valley and up on the other hillside. And there are nice white puffy clouds up against the blue sky. There's a nice breeze blowing. And I'm standing on the top of a mountain with a couple of my close friends. And we're just enjoying a great moment out in nature. And, you know, that to me just kind of solidified. This is what it's about. It's, it's about moments like these. You know, sometimes the journey is challenging. But these little moments make it worth it. Oh, that's cool. So you also have been practicing bushcraft and survival skills, right? Yes. And I know that there's quite a bit of that in your novel that you've written. By the way, the name of the novel is The Adventure of a Lifetime. And I've been reading it, Brian. I've made it halfway through so far. I didn't have time to finish it completely, but it's a great read. I'm really enjoying it. Very entertaining and informative. And uh, I'm looking forward to the second half. At least I can't spoil it for everybody because I don't know how it ends yet. <laughs> but how did you use these skills in writing this book? Well, um, the book had some pretty humble beginnings at first. You know, it initially started out as a, a, a mental exercise. I was trying to think through you know, what items I would actually need if I were out in the wild or in the wilderness for an extended period of time. And you know, I, I think the mistake that we all make uh, early on is we tend to rely on our gear and not our skills. We, we need to use our gear, and I, I love gear just as much as the next person. Um, but, you know, I was at a point several years ago where I really I tried to rely on my gear instead of my skills. So in writing this book, I, I worked in a lot of skills that I've learned, uh, you know, firecraft, wood selection, um, 
essentially uh, even knots. I worked in. I, I tried to keep it short, but setting up shelters, um, even things like hypothermia, which you know we don't really think about all that often. At least you know I, I don't. I live in Western Pennsylvania, and most people stay indoors in the winter. I'm one of the crazy ones that goes out, but you know, things that are not normal considerations. Where with minimal gear, how do we deal with these challenges? Um, so I tried to work in skills that I had learned, particularly with uh, processing firewood, identifying edibles, identifying you know, ways to harvest animals or food. And um, I think part of it, too, is just the general survival mindset that you, know, you can do it, you can get through it, maybe challenging. But um, as Creek Stewart says, the first rule of survival is don't die. So I tried to work in some dangers, some adventure into the book, and the skills that I'd learned, uh, which I think are far more valuable in my mind than the, some of the gear that I've shed. Now, there's some essential gear that I also work into the story, um, but I think using the skills and relying on them is far more important. I think there's kind of a common theme among the backpackers that we've interviewed. Um, I know personally, I started out getting a hold of a, a backpack that I borrowed from somebody and stuffing it full of everything that I thought I might need and then trying to walk under way too much weight and and uh, finding out a lot of stuff I didn't need and there are things that maybe I did. And over the years of backpacking, uh, my pack has gotten lighter and lighter and lighter and my skills have gotten better and better and better. And now my pack is is pretty darn light, you know. And it's not about taking as much gear into the woods. It's about just going and being in the woods and having the skill set necessary. Um, it sounds like you had a, a parallel experience there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, when I first started into my gear obsession, I, I had read one second after and I thought, oh, I need to have a, a pack all the time full of everything that I could ever need. Um, and I, I try to work this concept into the story, The Adventure of a Lifetime as well, with you know the characters Ryan and Bailey. If they're, they're trying to select through what gear do we take and what gear don't we take, um, because without revealing too much in the story, they're they're stranded in the Alaskan wilderness, and they're going to have to walk a very long distance to get anywhere near civilization. And you know, those of us that have backpacked for long distances, you know, ounces equal pounds, and pounds equal pain. So the lighter you can keep your pack while still you know, surviving and still having the essentials, the better it is for you. Um, so. Having that experience, I worked that into the story where Ryan and Bailey are you know, struggling to survive. They, they need essentials, but they have to wrestle through what is essential weight you know, or what is just going to hold me down and, and make this experience more painful. Um, and that's been my experience that I started out, I think, with a, a 35-pound pack, and I considered that light. <laughs> um, and as, the more I've backpacked, the more gear I've shed. I think I'm down in like the the 20 pound range for a three or four day trip, including food, uh, which I think, you know, some, some ultralight backpackers might consider that heavy, but for me, um, I'm not an ultralight backpacker. I don't whittle, you know, some people whittle their toothbrush stems off. So it's just a tiny little toothbrush head or things like that to save a gram or two. Um, I'm not quite that far yet, but who knows, maybe someday I will. Well, you know, we recently went to uh, the movie that has come out about the New Mexico backcountry discovery routes for adventure bikes. And, you know, we talk about adventure motorcycling quite a bit on the show, too. But the point is this. Um, there are a lot of large bikes trying to do difficult terrain, and the large bikes struggle because of the weight of the bike, right? When you get into technical terrain, mm -hmm. that's really hard. Where does this get back to what our subject here? I, I told 
Travis, my co-host for the show here, I said, Travis, you know what? I'm going to take my ultralight backpacking skills and put them on, you know, put my gear on a light bike and not have to do that. It's kind of fun because when you learn how to be efficient for the backpacking, you can apply that to, you know, a family vacation. You can apply that to motorcycling. You can apply that to a lot of other things. So it's, it's a cool skill to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you learn to make do with less, first of all, I find it, it's, I find it more fun because it's more challenging. Um, instead of having everything, including the kitchen sink with me, um, I may have to improvise. Um, but for me personally, you know, cooking using skewers or you know, even, and I, I would like to preface this with, if you use a rock to cook your food on, um, which I've done before, make sure it's not wet. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard the exploding rock stories or not. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I find stuff like that really intriguing where how can I test myself with less gear? Because first of all, it's not as painful. I can go places other people can't. Um, I can enjoy myself more because at the end of a 10 or 12 mile hike, uh, my back doesn't feel out of whack. Uh, and I get to do a lot of cool things uh, like testing skills with uh, making a skewer for my food or even making a wooden cooking rack, uh, which, you know, otherwise having to bring like a pan or a Dutch oven, which might weigh, you know, sometimes three, four, five pounds. Um, sure. Or if you take like a cast iron Dutch oven, you're talking like 10 pounds of weight to bring them with you versus sticks, which you didn't have to carry. Yeah, our long-term listeners all know that we also um, sell lightweight backpacking stoves with our company 180 Tack. And mm-hmm. our 180 stove is, it's about 10 ounces. So it's not really ultra light, but it's lighter than the smallest fuel canister um, with a micro stove. So it's very light and we serve, we sell a lighter stove than that too. But I mentioned the 180 stove because the cooking surface is large enough. I can take in those 10 ounces and I cook my food with twigs and so, you know, we take backpacking food with us. And as, as most backpackers know, you get tired of the backpacking food. Either it's too dehydrated, it's too salty, it's it's too bland, it's too much cardboard, it's too many carbohydrates, whatever the, the case may be. One of my favorite things to do is to catch a few fish out of a, a mountain lake, and I grill them right on the stove. And so I don't have to have a pan. And uh, it's just kind of the example of what you're talking about, that if you learn the skills, you can leave a lot of gear at home. And uh, we also do a little bit of wild edible foods and supplement as we go. Sometimes we'll make a stew or something like that. So um, anyway, I guess, you know, this book, we've got Ryan and Bailey who are trying to get through the Alaskan wilderness like this. And Ryan has a pretty good list of gear here in the beginning of the book that he, that he originally packed. If you were to head into the woods, would your list match this list? Uh, I think it depends on the the long term scope of the trip. Uh, that the gear list in the book is based off of my go to gear list, uh, but uh, not all of the gear gear that I take with me all the time. Typically, if I'm going on a long like a you know, three day, four day hike or whatever, um, I'm going to have a knife. Uh, I usually take two knives with me. I'm going to have a small folding saw. Uh, I'm going to have a water bottle. And at least at least a nesting cup with that, so I can boil some water, make some tea, things like that. Um, and then I have a fire steel and a first aid kit that are my essentials. Usually, a change of clothes and a wool hat and some gloves uh, and some something to sleep in, either a, you know a tarp or a tent. And then beyond that, I do have emergency fire starting gear. Um, where if if for some reason I'm in the middle of a blizzard or something and I can't get dry tinder then I'll start it with that. But beyond that, um, for a three- or four-day trip, I'm not going to take a ton more with me. Uh, in the story, 
the the gear list that Ryan has with him is what I would have taken with me on longer trips before, and it's it's a heavy pack and it's a heavy load. And part of what I want people in the st- to see in the story is he's not going to use all of that stuff. So I don't want to throw any spoilers out, but when you get to be in the story, you're going to say, well, what happened to this and what happened to that and this and that that was in the list. And I did that intentionally to get the readers to think, what am I taking with me that I don't need to be taking with me? Yeah. Well, as I looked over the list, I thought, well, this is a very complete list. Um, I could see not needing all of that gear but it would be kind of nice to have it. So anyway, we're we're teasing the listeners by not telling them what's on the list, but they're going to have to get the book to figure that out. It's a, <laughs> it's a fun list, but I, I have to say that um, an awful lot of the stuff on the list I normally don't take, but there have been times that I would want to have almost everything on the list, but you can often do without, right? So Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, some of my friends would, would call that snivel gear. <laughs> <laughs> Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hand on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Hey River Rats, you've heard nature photographer John Fielder discuss Colorado's free-flowing Yamper River on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now get the 150 scenic and historic pictures behind the words. John's latest coffee table book guides you from its headwaters in the Flat Tops Wilderness to the confluence with the Green River and Dinosaur National Monument. Visit johnfielder.com for more about the book or get your copy now at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite independent Colorado book retailer. Once again, that book is Colorado's Yampa River, free-flowing and wild from the flat tops to the green. I have... uh almost always found one thing that I know is a little bit heavy and I choose to take it anyway because I just think it's worth the wait. So what would be your one thing that's worth the wait? Oh, uh, a poncho. Mm. Uh, I, I just, I have not taken one before and it, it didn't rain. I was lucky with that, but it was very foggy and I don't know your experience, but my experience walking through a super dense fog was I, I ended up really wet and my clothes felt heavier and I was miserable because I had to walk the whole rest of the day after the morning fog. Um, so something as heavy, I think my poncho is, 
I think it's close to like 18 ounces. Um, and I would never leave home without it. If it was, it probably says four or five pounds, I'd still take it with me. Yeah. Most of my backpacking is at altitude here in Colorado. So we're taking coats with us. You know, we have to, um, mm-hmm. we're, we get below freezing year round on all of our backpacking trips. It's just, you know, you wake up, there's ice on the ground. That's just the way it is, but really cool. Well, hey, uh, I think we've covered a little bit of this. Well, what about tips or tricks for backpacking? Um, well, I think the the biggest tip or trick I can give to someone who's starting out um, is to learn some skills first, so that you don't have to take a ton of extra gear with you that you're going to regret taking. Um, one of my early backpacking trips with my 35 pound pack, um, I learned real quick that I could shed some of that gear if I learned some extra skills, and actually. Um, I'm going to tell myself here, I, I embarrassed myself in that stage on a backpacking trip with some friends. Um, I had bought all kinds of gear, and I, I never realized that you had to learn how to use it. I just thought for some reason, I was with this mindset early on, that if you just have gear and it, you, know, you buy it, you automatically know how to use it. So I had bought this newfangled thing called a fire steel, and I'm sure everyone listening knows what a fire steel is. Uh, but it's, it's basically a, a rod that, you, that throws sparks so you don't have to carry matches or a lighter with you. Well, I figured it's super simple. It's a fire skill, right? I hadn't learned the skill, so I was going to impress my friends by making a fire with it. And I even brought some tinder along, and I tried, and I couldn't make a fire with it. And <laughs> I, I was probably trying for about 20 minutes. I had rubbed a blister on my finger where the striker was rubbing, and my friends were just laughing and howling. And that was I still hear about that to this day, <laughs> um, <laughs> about the time I tried to start a fire. Uh, but I would say the, the biggest tip for having a lighter a lighter load, uh, making it more enjoyable, would just be learn some skills. Um, I think second of all, uh, a tip that I would give them would be do your research before you buy something. Um, I have impulsively bought things before that I thought would be a lot more useful or practical or even would fit in certain pockets of my pack um, that ended up not doing so. So you know, doing a little extra research might save you some hassle or headache. Um, I bought a folding saw one time that I thought would fit in my pack, and I had to shove and push and stretch, um, and it does fit now, um, but it took several hours of aggravation and you know, muttering under my breath and ha- you know, having, a, having to slump around a little bit and walk away from it lest I toss my pack you know, in a stream or something like that. So I would say just do your research and learn some skills, and those two things I think will help more than most. Yeah, good advice there. Very cool. I think that half the fun of uh, getting used to being in the outdoors, becoming proficient in the outdoors, is just learning how to do things in that setting. You know, working at the the with the rhythm of nature and with the the natural materials that are at hand and that sort of thing. And people think that it should just be automatic. It's not. You know, it's something you have to learn. And the more time you spend in the woods, the more things you'll figure out. But there are lots of uh, great resources where we can learn these things from others too. Yeah, I think um, I've learned the most actually um, on online communities, uh, bushcraft forums. Uh, it's actually what's called Bushcraft USA forums. Um, I learned a lot of my skills through that, and uh, they have a free class, Bush Class USA, where uh, it's taught by some some uh, reputable names in the outdoors. And I would look up these skills, follow the lessons, and I'd take it outside, you know, particularly like starting fires with natural resources, you know, like using natural tinders and things like that. And everybody fails, you know. I failed several times doing a lot of these these courses, uh, these lessons. But when I passed. 
you know, when I got my fire started with wood shavings or a slash tinder or something like that, the sense of accomplishment you feel doing that, getting out in, in nature, being outside, trying something, even if you don't get it right the first time, but when you finally do get it right, the exhilaration you feel, the sense of accomplishment, and really, I think the sense of connection with your surroundings, it's, it's so rewarding. Um, I would just tell the listeners, you know, go out and try something new. Um, you know, there are plenty of places online where you can look for skills to learn or to practice outside. Go try it. And even if you feel, you know what they say, a bad day outdoors is better than a good day in the office. <laughs> yeah, which is a secondary theme of your book that I wanted to bring up. Um, the main character starts out on his adventure because of bad days at the office, right? And I, yeah. I see that as yeah. an overarching theme in the book. Will you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, well, as a teacher, I actually am pretty blessed. I, I love what I do, uh, but that wasn't always the case. Um, and as I was going through through school, um, I had to work in uh, a job setting that I didn't really like. I didn't feel appreciated, you know, and I, I really had to deal with a lot of stress and challenges. So I kind of worked that into the storyline where um, the the main character, Ryan, he's he's working at an accounting firm and he just doesn't like what he's doing. He has to deal with a, a lot of fallout from a, a boss that doesn't appreciate him and really kind of berates him. And he's kind of reached this tipping point where he feels like he can't take it anymore. So he decides, you know what, I'm going to do something wild and crazy. I've always had this idea where I, I wanted to go live out in the wilderness, so I'm just going to take an extended vacation. And if I get fired for it, I get fired for it. If I don't, I don't, but I can't do this anymore. And he goes out and goes on an adventure. And I really think that that's kind of like analogous to what I think the outdoors is for a lot of people. It's a, it's a place of release where you can get away from the problems of every day and you can really find some peace and relaxation. Mm. You know, I know that nature has just been super meaningful to me, and I love adventure sports because they take me into nature. And if I'm outside, I'm having a good time. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, there's something so valuable in reconnecting with the natural world around us. And, you know, that might be one of my main themes for the Adventure Sports Podcast is just to encourage people, uh, get out of the daily rhythms and the daily routines a little bit and go, man, if all you do is just go sit in the woods for a few hours, it's it's an amazing thing to reconnect with the natural world we live on. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say uh, for people wanting to do these things, uh, I think the main reservation is time. You know, I don't have time to you know, do a three or four day backpacking trip or I don't have time to, to do you know, a half day hike. Um, I would just say get out for what time you can because when you come back, the time that you have left, I think, will be more rewarding and more enjoyable than had you spent all your time not going in the outdoors and not getting a chance to decompress and unwind. So how do you do that? As a teacher um, and an author, how do you incorporate this uh, this adventure time into your life? Well, um, several things. First, we have the outdoors club at school um, where we teach the kids skills that they can use in the outdoors. And we have the annual outdoors club backpacking trip, which I get to go on and take the kids out into the outdoors. Um, so as a teacher, I get to, to work that into uh, the activity club. Uh, and I also will work some anecdotes or skills or stories of the outdoors into my everyday lessons. Um, as, as an author, I try to work in the skills that I've learned or my experiences. I try to work those into the stories um, that I write, and particularly into this book, The Adventure of a Lifetime. And I think also I, I try to get out 
at least three or four times a year on, on an extended hike. But there are days just on the way home, I take an extra, you know, 15, 20 minutes, go to a local park and hike the trails for 15, 20 minutes. And I find that even that short amount of adventure, working that in really helps supplement what I do. That's a great idea. It also helps to clear your head before you get home, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I find I'm in a much better mood, uh, much more able to uh, deal with the rest of the day. Oh, that's cool. Well, let's dive into the book a little bit more. We've given some teasers. So far, we know that we've got this main character named Ryan and this gal named Bailey, and they're stuck in the Alaskan wilderness, and they have to hike a long way and figure out what to take with them. What else would you like to uh, tell our listeners about the book? So um, I would like to tell them several things, uh, but I think the, the main thing I'd like to get across is that it's it's more complex than just the daily grind of trying to walk out of the Alaskan wilderness. The, the, the characters are, first of all, they don't come from the same world. Um, you know, Ryan's unhappy in his job. He really doesn't feel like he's the suit and tie type. Um, and he's stuck out in the wilderness with uh, a girl who's wanting to basically change the world through activism and do a lot of things that he doesn't understand and she doesn't understand him. And they've got to try to get to know each other uh, and work together on things they may disagree with to try to survive. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's really in life. A lot of times we have to, to work with people that we may not understand. We may not agree with uh, to get things done, but they've got to, they've got to work through their social challenges, their emotional challenges. They're still trying to get to know themselves too out there aside from getting to know each other, um, along with facing basically certain death. Um, I, I set the story in the Brooks Range, uh, North Slope region of Alaska, where um, the the closest actual city in any direction is about 60 miles, but you have to hike through the Brooks Range Mountains to get there. So they've got quite a long hike, um, you know, possibly 150 miles or more through barren wilderness. Uh, and so they have to deal with the challenges of survival along with the challenges of getting along with one another and uh, providing for their daily needs with the skills that they have and the knowledge that they have. And in the book, Ryan's not the all-knowing survival wilderness guru. Um, he's maybe average, slightly above average in his skills and knowledge. And there are several times where he might not make the right decision and they may suffer for, for that. Um, so it's it's not just the he's the hero, he's always going to get it right. It's I think I tried to make him a lot more fallible because I think people resonate with that a little more. Yeah, I see that in the book, and I see how he's learning as he goes. And Bailey is learning a lot from Ryan and from the experience. She's She has very little experience in the woods, it seems. Yeah, yeah. She basically comes from an urban scenario. She's a college girl. She's maybe been camping once or twice, but that was kind of like staying in a tent for a night. So she's learning a lot. And she's learning the value of the skills and seeing that life might be a little more complex than she had thought it was. And Ryan's also learning that he might not have had everything as figured out as he thought he did. And that in learning to teach these skills to Bailey, he's also reaffirming the value of what he's learned already. Yeah, that's neat. You know, I want to tell the the listeners, um, the book is really readable and enjoyable. It's it's one of those books that you start reading and uh, you don't get bored. 
you know, it, it's entertaining the whole way through and you lose track of time because it goes so quickly. So it's a, it's a enjoyable read. It's well written. And I think there are a lot of lessons that are incorporated into the storyline, which is, which is exciting. It's a good book. So Brian, thank you very much for putting this book together. It's cool. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your, your kind comments about it. Yeah, it's fun. So if people wanted to get a copy of the book, how do they do that? Um, so I'm selling it through Amazon, either as a paperback or the Kindle version. Um, so you can either type in The Adventure of a Lifetime, um, or it's, it's kind of a new release, so there may be a lot of titles under that. If you type in my name, Brian80, uh, it'll come up, and you can either purchase it as the paperback version um, or the, the Kindle version. Or if you want both, um, I, I do have it set up so that if you buy the paperback, you can get the Kindle version for $0.99. Cents as opposed to the 299 that it normally is. So Amazon is the, the place to go for this? It is, yes. Um, I, I believe it's also being set up on some other book brokers like Barnes & Noble, but I'm not sure it's been released there yet. Okay, and your last name is spelled A-D-E-Y. Yes. Brian 80. So if you mm-hmm. search for Brian 80 on Amazon, you'll find The Adventure of a Lifetime. So Brian, we always like to ask about a time that things didn't go right. So do you have a story about uh, some hardships that you endured and how you got through? Yes, I do. Um, (laughs) So in my younger days, about uh, 10 years ago, a friend of mine and I decided we were going to go on a a backpacking trip for a week. And the only food we were going to bring was a pound of beef jerky, and that was going to be it. Um, So we hadn't really done our homework. I was a little more impetuous in those days. And so we had set up a, a base camp at a campsite, and we were going to hike all around and backpack all around. Well, the the lake was flooded because it had rained a lot the past two weeks, and all of the nice fishing spots that we had thought we had known about were all flooded. So my friend and I, we fished our little hearts out, and that was all we had brought. We, you know, we, we weren't going to hunt. It wasn't hunting season, so we brought our fishing poles. We'd fished our hearts out for several hours, and we hadn't caught a thing. And finally, I caught one little bluegill, and as we were reeling it in, it was dangling on the hook, and it flopped and flopped, and it flopped right off the hook onto the shore, and we chased that thing and stomped on it and grabbed it so it wouldn't get away, <laughs> and that was, <laughs> and, you know, we, we kind of saw it melodramatically, we saw our lives flashing before our eyes here, because, we, you know, we had already eaten our beef jerky, and we hadn't eaten for 24 hours, um, aside from maybe like a handful of raspberries that we happened to, to stumble upon. And this fish was like our last hope of anything to eat. And so you know, we're, we're just stressed to the max about catching this fish. We finally get a hold of it, and, and we hold it up. And he and I both realized that this fish is about the size of the palm of our hand. And so <laughs> you know, we had wasted all those calories chasing this fish. You know, we had dashed all over the shoreline for basically a bite of fish apiece. So we, you know, we take this thing back to our campsite, you know, make a fire, and we cook this fish, and we each get a bite of fish, and you know, it was at that point that we had to seriously start talking about, are we going to continue this absurd idea? So we ended up calling it quits, I think, the next day. We'd been out for three or four days, and when we got home, I had weighed myself, and I lost six pounds in, in that short trip, uh, so it definitely didn't go as planned, <laughs> but uh, I learned a couple of important lessons. Um, the first lesson is to your homework. Uh, and the second one is really learning skills is important. I know I keep saying that, but I say it because I've learned the hard way. Um, you know, there's the saying that, that life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. Um, <laughs> I, 
I feel like, I, you know, I've kind of made it harder on myself sometimes by not learning skills. Um, after that trip, you know, I started seriously looking into knowing wild edibles a little more. Um, you know, just maybe learning a plant identification a month even is something I try to do. And it, it does come in handy. So I think had I, if I attempt the same thing today, uh, maybe I don't lose like five pounds instead of six pounds. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but I, I did learn that, you know, also don't overestimate yourself. Have a realistic view of what you can and can't do. Because I figured, you know, I, I don't know if I just thought that there'd be steaks hanging from the trees or whatnot, but I thought I'd be able to provide food and neither my friend or I had any skills to do so. And we paid not super dearly. It could have been a lot worse had we been in a remote region. Um, but, you know, losing six pounds in four days is, is not a good thing, particularly if you're trying to survive. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like a fast. That's tough. <laughs> The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Phoenix Multisport is a sober, active community that supports individuals who are healing from substance use disorder by providing free programs to help them maintain their sobriety. A few of these programs include CrossFit, yoga, boxing, cycling, and rock climbing and are offered to anyone who is 48 hours clean and sober. Phoenix Multisport provides programs in Colorado, Orange County, California, and Boston, Massachusetts. For more information on this nonprofit, go to www.phoenixmultisport.org. Together, we can help individuals rise from the ashes of their addiction and heal families. You know, one of the games I like to do with my kids when we go backpacking is maybe we're we're pausing for a rest or maybe we're at camp and I just say, okay, point out everything that's edible around us. And we can generally find five to ten things that we could eat anywhere we are in the woods. But the funny thing is, Brian, if we were to try to get enough calories out of those five to ten things, it would be tough. And I look at it and I think, well, we could get vitamins and minerals. We could get nutrition, but energy, ooh, it's tough in the woods. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we underestimate the amount of calories we need. Even, you know, you can go online and find a, a caloric rate calculator. Um, and, you know, if I just sat down all day and didn't move, I'd burn 1,800 calories. And if I'm backpacking or hiking all day, I'm burning somewhere in like the 3,000 calorie range. So, you know, to keep my weight up and my energy up, I'm going to need to replace that every day. So realistically, I think living off the land is a lot harder than people think it is. Uh, you, you almost have to have some kind of, of meat every day um, or an absurd amount. Like if you, in the Dolly Sods, they do have basically acres and acres of wild blueberry bushes. So I mean, if you sat there all day and, and forged through that, sure, you could keep up your calories. Uh, but in the backpacking world, you're expending calories on a very grand scale. So 
the idea of backpacking and living off the land, I, I think, is one that's, unless you're hunting big game, not very feasible. You know, you could probably burn almost as many calories just being a hunter-gatherer without the backpacking. It's it's not easy to do, and it can be done. But do you have a favorite wild edible that you would recommend the guests to look into? Um, well, I, I, I'm kind of an anomaly in this. I mean, I, 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 well, I would say my favorite wild edibles would be berries, um, wild blueberries, um, huckleberries, and cranberries. Um, but I'm also kind of interested in salmon foods, where you, things that you have to, to boil so that you can eat them. Um, it, it may sound weird, but milkweed is is a very nice wild edible, but you, you want to make sure that you boil it uh, because it can irritate your stomach uh, if you don't. But I would say my go-to would definitely be berries. I have a sweet tooth, so... You know, wild blueberries, wild huckleberries are, are definitely my, my favorite wild edibles. Also, wild raspberries, um, dewberries, and blackberries. I mean, if you can find those, you're living pretty good. Um, but aside from that, you know, I, I have a, a strange attraction to salmon foods like pokeweed and milkweed, which, you know, you, you do need to boil twice. So that, that would need to be if you're sitting around the camp, you know, and you're not having anything to do, you could harvest those and eat those. You know, I grew up eating a lot of pokeweed. That was pretty common. And one of my favorites now is curly dock. I just think it has a delicious oh, yeah. favor, flavor. It's really good. But once again, these things have a lot of nice vitamins and nutritional value, but not a lot of calories. So that's kind of tough. I'd hate to see how much pokeweed you'd have to eat to get your caloric intake for the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it makes a nice uh, pot herb. That's the way I look at it. You know, but one of the yeah. things we like to do is uh, we'll take a little something that we could you kind of make a, a soup or a stew out of. And then we supplement that by putting in the dandelion greens or the, the curly dock or, you know, we make pine needle teas and, and various things like that. So you kind of supplement what you have and then it, it kind of becomes a fun hobby and you do get enough calories. Yeah, I, I like doing that as well. I, I usually, you know, I will take foods to, to cook along the way, but if you can find something in the wild to put in, it almost feels kind of like an exotic chef to some extent. You know, you're just foraging, perusing the landscape. And, you know, particularly with pine needle tea, you know, I think it's a very underrated drink. And it's something so simple to make um, that I feel like, you know, when I do that, I feel a great sense of accomplishment. You know, like I didn't have to bring this with me. I was able to harvest it here and enjoy it here where it was made. Yeah, and I found with pine needle tea, that it's really energizing. I think it's because of the the vitamin C content. But mm-hmm. pine needle tea gives you a real lift in the morning, and it's not caffeinated, you know. But it's almost like you had a cup of coffee. It's a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. It's good. So, what inspires you, Brian? Um, it sounds like you're one of these people that's really out there doing it. I mean, I know how hard being a teacher can be because I was one, and uh, being a teacher is not it's not an easy job. But on top of this, you've written and published this book, and uh, that takes a lot of dedication, a lot of effort. What keeps you going? Um, several things. Um, uh, I think, first of all, um, not to delve too far into this, but uh, just my faith in God, I think, really uh, inspires me. Uh, it, it makes me want to lead a better life, you know, give back to my students, uh, just invest in their lives. Um, I think also my family inspires me. 
it, it encourages me to be a better person, um, just to to live a, a life that would reflect our values. Um, and I think also uh, a major thing that inspires me is, is people that have a passion for what they do. Um, you know, I found my passion in teaching and I found a way to integrate my passion in the outdoors into that. And I, I really have been inspired by a lot of people that I've seen around me that are very passionate about what they do. They invest themselves into it. And they find a way to incorporate others into that passion. Um, you know, there are things that I, I didn't think I'd be interested in that people around me that are very passionate about it have kind of brought me into. Uh, running would be a good example of that. Uh, the only time I used to run was if I was being chased. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I have friends around me that are very passionate about that. Um, and they got me involved in, in running just by seeing their excitement about it. So uh, I think those three things really inspire me. Oh, that's fun. I have to ask, um, everyone wants the chance to ask the author, you know, is, is the book autobiographical? You know, I don't know how to answer that. Initially, I would say no, but I couldn't help but write parts of myself into it. I think it, some of the experiences I had uh, shaped the way I thought about the book and shaped the way that I saw the main character uh, and the initial the thought exercise was based on my thoughts, but it, it's, I've heard authors say this and I never really understood it until I started writing, but the book kind of took on a life of its own. You know, I think I started writing from a, a first person and the book is in first person, but I started writing like from an autobiographical sense. And then Ryan took on his own life and really became a separate character. Um, and same with Bailey, you know, I, I wrote, like aspects of my life in into her character, but really the characters kind of had a life of their own and a personality of their own, and that was never really my intention. It just kind of happened. That is fun. You know, my my sister is an author, Paula Moldenhauer, and she's published a few books now. But she she tells stories about sitting at the keyboard and crying. She goes, "I didn't know that this had to happen." <laughs> you know. <laughs> It, it it does kind of get a life of its own sometimes. A storyline, you know, you get caught up in it, and wow, it it could be a lot of fun. So. <laughs> yeah, it's so true that that happened in this book. Like I, I had envisioned a, a different storyline, and about halfway in, it just it wrote it, it almost wrote itself. I mean, you know, you have to put the time in and the effort in, but it, it didn't end up being exactly how I thought it would be. So that, that's very odd to hear that another author did that. I didn't know if I was just kind of the oddball with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely just took on a life of its own. Well, I think that as the story starts to unfold, it inspires new ideas and new thoughts, and the author gets surprised. So that's a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, That's cool. So do you have future books planned now? You know, um, I, I didn't initially have a future book planned um, as I finished this up, but I actually have worked with, uh, a friend of mine on some new ideas, possibly a, a parallel storyline, um, not involving these characters, but involving some minor characters in the book. So I may, in the next couple of weeks, start writing another uh, storyline paralleling this one. So um, we, we may see more of the outfitter in the story. He may get his own book. So I can't make any guarantees. Um, this book was 18 months start to finish, you know, because I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a father, and I've got a lot, of, a lot of other responsibilities. So I would like to say you're going to see another one that's a parallel story, but I don't know when it's going to come out. <laughs> Good enough. I like that. So what about some parting thoughts for us, Brian? Um, I love it that you love backpacking. I do, too. I, I believe that backpacking is an approachable sport that anybody can do. 
And it's so rewarding because of the way that you can connect with nature so intensely. But any any parting words about backpacking or about writing a book or words about the book itself? Well, about about writing the book, I would just say people have said this, but I mean this. Uh, I, I didn't know if people meant this when they said this, but if I can do it, anyone can do it. It really was just a matter of sitting down and putting the time in. I had a lot of false starts. There was some frustration, just like with anything in life. Um, you know, it's just a matter of learning through time. So I would say to anyone that's thinking about writing a book, uh, that 100% you can do it. it. There's not some magical art to it. Um, most authors that I've talked to would say that it basically just boils down to having a general idea and just keeping to, keeping expanding that idea, just adding to it over time. So anyone that you know has that idea, I would just like to say to you, you can do it, um, and don't sell yourself short, and you know, go out there and give it a shot. It can be very rewarding. Um, and on the on the backpacking front, I would just like to say too that you know don't let it intimidate you. I, I was very intimidated when I started into backpacking. You know, there, there's so much out there. It can almost be like being fed through a fire hose where you, you don't even know where to start. I would just encourage the listeners, you know, start small. Just go on a short hike. Um, see what you can see. You know, maybe take a camera with you. Take some pictures. That's actually uh, one of the things I really enjoy doing is doing some nature photography while I'm, while I'm out backpacking or hiking. Um, so I would just encourage you, start small. Get out there and do it. You know, don't, don't be intimidated. Everybody's got to start somewhere. So start where you are and really just enjoy the experience. Good words. I couldn't agree more. That's cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing about your book, The Adventure of a Lifetime. And listeners, go to Amazon, look this up, Brian 80, that's A-D-E-Y. It is a cool book. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, Brian, thanks for your time today. Y'all, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Oh, you bet. And for all the listeners out there, as always, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> 